Good evening and welcome again. Thank you for being here. Thank you to Brother Bill for verbalizing that. We appreciate Brother Bill and all of you who are here tonight. Thank you for the prayer that was led a moment ago, the singing, the opportunity to read from Scripture. Tonight we are looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be talking about two men by the name of Hymenaeus and Philetus. We are drawing to a close in our character studies for the year. We've looked at a number of people. The ones that we will be talking about tonight, Hymenaeus and Philetus, really two strikes against them. Number one, they had defected from the faith. Number two, they led others to a defection from the faith. And so we want to talk a little bit about these two men in just a moment or two. Before we do that, as we come to the close of the year, I want to encourage you to dig deeply, be faithful to God. We have so many great things to be thankful for in a world that in many respects is, well, facing a lot of problems. The world in which we live is troubled, and we have a great message to share, and that is the gospel of Christ, and we have great opportunities to serve the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to find your place of service in the cause of Christ here, dig in, get to work, and let's do everything that we can to exalt the name of Christ in this community. And we're grateful for the many opportunities that are afforded us on a daily basis. Now, having said that, let's talk for a minute or two about Hymenaeus and Philetus. And the first thing that we want to talk about tonight in our study is we look at what is said in our Bible study tonight concerning these two men. I guess first and foremost to talk about the danger of a shipwrecked faith. Now I want to call your attention back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul brings to mind two men. The first of which is Hymenaeus. The second is a man by the name of Alexander. And apparently they had made shipwreck of their faith. I would believe that Hymenaeus, spoken of by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, would be the same individual spoken of in his second letter. Alexander, I'm not sure exactly the background on this man. I do know that in the city of Ephesus there was a man that lived there by the name of Alexander. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19. And then over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when the Apostle Paul closes out his letter of inspiration, he brings to mind a man by the name of Alexander the coppersmith. And he said, he has done me much harm. So whether or not one of these two individuals is the one we're talking about, there's no certainty there. But nonetheless, these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they had made shipwreck of their faith. And so in 2 Timothy chapter when we read about Hymenaeus and Philetus. These men, and I would include in that Philetus, made shipwreck of their faith. That's a sad thing. So with that in mind, let's just back up and look very quickly at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And Paul has left Timothy in the city of Ephesus for the purpose of charging some that they teach no other doctrine. And so apparently there were some doctrinal problems in that city, and Paul wanted Timothy, the young evangelist, to make some corrections and to keep God's people where they ought to be, and that is faithful to the Lord. 
And so in verse 19, listen to what Paul said. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And so as we think about the Christian life, to understand, as we have said repeatedly, we are involved in spiritual warfare. Paul would tell us that in Ephesians chapter 6. It's not a carnal conflict, but rather it is a spiritual conflict. And we are doing battle with the God of this age, the devil and his emissaries. And so, in verse 19, Paul would say, Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck or made shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. We'll talk more about that in a moment or two. But now think about that for a minute. Here were two individuals that at one time had obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had their sins washed away by obedience to the gospel of Christ. They enjoyed fellowship with God and with His church. And now they have abandoned the faith of Almighty God. They have made shipwreck of that faith. And then turn over to 2 Timothy, our text for tonight. And listen now to what Paul says, beginning in verse 14. And we're talking about the danger of a shipwrecked faith. And really, in this context, a faith that has been destroyed. And so listen to what Paul said. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, that is, trivial things of little or no consequence, to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Then he said their message will spread like gangrene or like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth. Let's just pause there for a minute or two. To first and foremost understand that there is always the reality of walking away from the faith. Now, does God want us to walk away from the faith? Well, of course not. God wants us to be, as Paul would say, steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. To go back into the world is to suffer shipwreck of that which at one time should have been deemed very valuable to us. You remember, for example, in 2 Peter chapter 2, when Peter talks about those who have escaped the corruptions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he said, they become entangled again in the elements of the world and are overcome. And he said, the latter state is worse than the beginning. And so, the reality of leaving the faith. Now, what are some reasons why people walk away from the faith? Well, in our context here, Hymenaeus and Philetus, their problem was false doctrine. False doctrine can subvert the faith that we hold dear. And then, 
There are other reasons. For example, Demas. You remember Demas, Paul said, has forsaken me. Having loved this present world. And that word forsaken in that context in verse 10, 2 Timothy chapter 4, means to abandon. And the idea is, here's somebody that has abandoned the cause of Christ. Why? They've gone back to the world. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus talks about, well, in Matthew chapter 13 as well, the Lord Jesus talks about how tribulation and persecution can destroy one's faith. And not just tribulation and persecution, but also the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Those are things that can encroach upon the faith, again, that we cherish or that we are to cherish. And so there is the danger of a shipwrecked faith. And as we think about a faith that has been destroyed. Let's talk for a minute or two about a faith that has been disciplined. Now back in, look again at 1 Timothy chapter 1 for a moment. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul here speaks of Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he said, Whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I think what Paul is talking about here is punitive action taken against someone who has willingly walked away from fellowship with God. We're talking now about church discipline. Now, there is a divine purpose for church discipline. And I want to go back and read a couple of passages with you, maybe to talk a little bit more about what Paul said here. But go back with me and look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 5 for a minute. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul addresses a problem of immorality existent in the church there. So pick up with me in verse 1. Paul said it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality or fornication among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. He said, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged. Paul said, as though I were present concerning him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, rather along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, now note verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So, first and foremost, to understand that what Paul is saying here is we have a problem of immorality in the church. One of the bad things about immorality in the church is it brings shame and reproach upon the body of Christ. And so in light of that, Paul said, all right, we're going to turn them back over to the world in hopes that they will awaken spiritually. Why? That the soul might be saved. 
So first and foremost, one of the reasons why discipline is imperative is to save the soul. And again, the goal is that that person, that disobedient person, person who is living unfaithfully, bringing shame and reproach on the body of Christ in a public way, so that they might reflect upon their situation, recognize the severance of fellowship, and have a strong desire to return to their relationship with God. So that'd be number one. Number two, this has to do with the danger of what Paul talked about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. So listen to what Paul says now. Look at verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Left unchecked, what happens to the body of Christ? It begins to permeate and grow and fester. And before you know it, you have a tremendous problem within the body of Christ. Now that could be true from a moral vantage point. It could be true from a doctrinal standpoint. That's why it has to be addressed. It has to be dealt with. Now, having said that, let's look over and look at 2 Thessalonians, rather. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 for a minute. And listen now to what Paul says concerning the purpose behind discipline. Look at verse 6. Paul said, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. That word disorderly, disorderly is a military term. And it carries with, the, carries with it the idea of someone who is breaking rank. And so spiritually speaking, here is somebody who has broken rank in terms of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not walking in cadence with the teaching of Almighty God. And because of that, Paul said, you are to withdraw yourselves from that brother. And not according to the tradition which he said you have received from us. But then drop down and note, if you would, what Paul says, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. And do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Now, verse 15, very important. Here's the attitude that is to be manifested toward those who are living in disobedience. Those who have become unfaithful to the cause of Christ. Again, the goal is to save the soul. So here's what Paul said. Do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so, to understand, when somebody becomes unfaithful to the cause of Christ, that is an unfaithful sister, an unfaithful brother in the cause of Christ. And because of our love for them, our love for God, our desire to do as He says, to implement disciplinary measures for the purpose of saving their eternal soul. Now, with regard to the attitude that we are to demonstrate. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 again. And drop down and look at verse 24. And you think about, you know, there, when we talk about discipline in the church, 
The last measure would be the withdrawal of fellowship. But there are other steps that are taken in that whole process. So, listen now to what Paul said beginning in verse 24. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. So here's somebody sitting down with an unfaithful member of the body of Christ, somebody who's lost, in a very kind, loving, humble manner, talking to them about their spiritual condition, demonstrating a spirit of forbearance, long-suffering, understanding that typically when somebody becomes unfaithful, it's not something that occurs overnight, but rather in many cases there is an erosion of faith, isn't there? And so if it takes a period of time for somebody to get out into the world where they have lost their relationship with the Lord, it would only stand to reason it's going to take time and effort to gain them back, to win them back to the Lord. And so we've got to understand it might take months to get them to be where they need to be spiritually. So here's verse 26. Listen now to what Paul said. We're teaching them. We're pleading with them. We're persuading them encouraging them to think about their spiritual condition, the fellowship that they're missing, the fellowship that they have been derived of with Almighty God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verse 26, Paul says, and that they may come to their senses. Is that not the goal? When Paul wrote to Timothy and talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander and Hymenaeus and Philetus, and in this context, he's talking about the servant of the Lord, servant of the Lord, talking to people who are not where they ought to be spiritually. Do you not think that Paul is saying the goal, the hope is that light will come on? They'll come to their spiritual senses. They'll realize, you know what? I'm out in that far country of sin, like the prodigal. I need to come home. In Luke chapter 15, when Jesus presented the parable of the prodigal son, that fellow's out in that far country. And he has reached a point of destitution. And the Bible says, over a period of time, what happened? He came to himself. There are people in the body of Christ, for whatever reason, that have walked away. They're not faithful to God. It might be the case that they haven't been in a worship service in months. For some, maybe even years. But the prayer, the hope is that that light will go off. That bell will sound. And they'll think, you know what? It's time to get my life right. I've got a really good friend of mine. He and I, we've been friends for many, many years. And I remember the day that he was restored. This has been a long, long time ago. And at that time, I didn't even know this brother. But I do remember being in services one Sunday morning. And this young man walked forward, asked for the prayers of the church. The preacher got up, stopped the invitation song. And he said, we have a brother that's come forward today that hasn't been in services for five years. 
and wants to be restored. And that was a great day. That brother later became a gospel preacher and is a preacher today. Well, what happened? Somebody took the initiative to call him and to say, won't you come to services today? He took them up on it, and guess what? Faithful to God today. So that's the goal. And the reason we do that is because of a love for the lost. Now, very quickly, our time's running out. Didn't realize how quickly time was running tonight. Look now, we talk about the danger of a shipwrecked faith. But then the danger of shipwrecking the faithful. Now herein lies the problem. Hymenaeus and Philetus. These guys are propagating false teaching. And so, what about the danger of false teachers? What's well, a problem? Now, there are a couple of thoughts here. A couple of thoughts that I think all of us ought to maybe just reflect upon for a minute or two. Whenever it comes to teaching, we need to make sure that we evaluate what we hear with the standard called the Word of God, don't we? Like the Bereans of old. Do you remember? Where the text tells us that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. You remember Paul would counsel the church at Thessalonica. He said, test or prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And then, of course, in 1 John chapter 4, John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, every teacher, but try, test the teachers, the spirits, whether they be of God, why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. All right? So there is the reality, the danger of those who might propagate error. So what we have to do is evaluate the teaching. We always want to make sure that what we hear coincides with the Word of Almighty God. Nothing wrong with that. Now, what if somebody is propagating something that is not found in Scripture? What then? Well, the Bible says we have the responsibility of exposing them, don't we? And why would that be? Because what they're teaching is dangerous. What they're teaching could ultimately lead to people being lost. So listen to what Paul says. Look again, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes concerning Hymenaeus and Philetus. He said, They have strayed concerning the truth. That is, they've strayed concerning God's divine standard, saying that the resurrection is already past. Now note, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now, it's hard to believe that there were people in the first century that in some way were possibly spiritualizing the resurrection. As Paul said, they were teaching others the resurrection has already passed. And there are some today, as were those in the first century, that have this idea that those well, they have the idea that the resurrection was a spiritual reality, so to speak. That Christianity or the church 
emerged from Jewish persecution following the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So they want to spiritualize it. Some would say it's just the resurrection of a cause. Well, the Bible teaches the resurrection. That is a fundamental, cardinal doctrine of the New Testament, isn't it? Now, was there teaching in the Old Testament concerning the resurrection? Sure. Read, for example, Job chapter 19. Or read Daniel chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2, where Daniel talks about those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall rise again. All right? Paul writes, they have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and he said they overthrow the faith of some. Well, let me ask you, how important is the resurrection in the grand scheme of things? As far as I'm concerned, it is vitally important, isn't it? I mean, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul makes the case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see something along these lines. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a minute. Paul, of course, sums up the gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, verses 1 through 4. In verses 5 and following, he identifies viable eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Beginning in verse 12, he talks about how the resurrection is significant in the grand scheme of the redemptive plan of Almighty God. So look at verse 12. Paul asks this question, If Christ is preached that He's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. And he said, Your faith also is vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futilely said, or vain, and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now imagine people teaching a doctrine that would suggest the resurrection is already past, or they're spiritualizing it, trivializing it. Or they're saying there's no literal bodily resurrection from the grave. Not what Paul's teaching here. Now note what he says, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, if there's nothing beyond this veil of tears, look, we're wasting our time. Our faith's vain. Our preaching is vain. We're still in sin. We don't have any hope for the future. Now look at verse 20. Paul said, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For, he says, Since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at His coming. Look again, verse 23. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. The picture there, I believe, when we talk about the firstfruits, what Paul is saying, 
The resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee of a greater harvest to come. When will that be? In John chapter 6, Jesus refers to it as the last day. That is the terminal day of our existence here on planet Earth. When the Lord comes, Jesus said in John chapter 5, all that are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Now, very quickly, one other verse I want to share with you. Look over in Revelation chapter 1. Now, we talk about the danger of false teachers and the danger of false teaching. The danger of false teaching is that it can lead to the destruction of one's faith. It can nullify one's faith. So look at Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, listen to what the Lord said, beginning in verse 18. Jesus said, I am He who lives and was dead, past tense. And behold... I am alive forevermore. Present tense. And Jesus said, Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. What the Lord is saying there is, He holds the keys to the doors of the cemetery. One day when He comes again, He's going to take those keys and unlock the doors. And all that are in the graves will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now tomorrow, the Lord willing, we will meet to remember the life of a brother in Christ, Brother Gene Higdon. And we will reflect upon his life. We'll leave the building and we will make our way to the cemetery, at which time his body will be committed to the heart of the earth to await the resurrection. But look, we do so in hope, do we not? You think about, here were two guys undermining the validity of the resurrection. Now look very quickly before we close. I want you to note one other thing in our text. Listen to what Paul said in verse 19. Despite those who were overthrowing the faith of some, Paul said, nevertheless, the firm foundation or solid foundation of God stands, having this seal... The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Despite the fact that there are those who propagate error, what Paul is saying here is God's church stands strong and true. The firm foundation stands true. And, and the Lord knows those who are His, those who belong to Him. So, Having said that, Paul would remind all, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And in this context, I think it would have to do with the teaching of Hymenaeus and Philetus. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ. To realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And as he said, no one comes to the Father but through him. If you're here tonight and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to respond with an obedient faith to the gospel message, you can enjoy liberation from sin. You can enjoy the blessings of salvation. Well, what would you need to do? Well, you've got to put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. 
You need to repent of your sins as Paul teaches and as Peter instructed on Pentecost Day. Paul taught that in Athens, Acts 17. We got to be willing to be immersed in water so that we might rise to walk in newness of life and then to be faithful until death. If you're here tonight, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. You want to make things right with a loving God and you need the prayers of the church to help you get back on track so that you might live a faithful life, so that one day you might be, so that one day you might have that hope called heaven. We encourage you to come as we stand and sing.